Good morning, Harmony. How we doing? Doing good? Better. Good. Um, have you ever noticed like how your children see huge differences between mommy and daddy? Have you ever seen this? Like my boys are pretty attached to me because I'm a big goofball. So you know we play superheroes all the time. I, I'm, I think they see me both as their dad and their play buddy. But I notice this when my kids are sick. When my kids are sick, do you know what they want to do with me? Nothing. In fact, Jake, who typically my two-year-old is, is pretty much a daddy's boy, when he's not feeling good, he will give me this look like if I'm like, oh, come on, come over here, I got you. And we, we do this sometimes now because with the baby, right, sometimes Nicole is consumed by the baby, right? And so Jake sometimes is not feeling good. I'm like, Jake, come over here with daddy. And he will give me that, we call it the gradeless eyebrow. Is this look that we have? I can't do it on demand. I apologize. I can only do it when I'm actually upset. Uh, that kind of just tells you back off. Right? And so Jake has been able to do this since he was an infant, which, by the way, was fun, right? Because he'd meet people and he'd be like, oh, no, he doesn't. He likes you. And they look at the baby like, no, he doesn't. And, no, no, really, really. He has just, that's just his face. But anyway, so I told Jake, I'd be like, come over here. And he'll give me that look and go, I want my mommy. And my favorite part is, is I like when the kids use my mommy to me. Like, I live in the same house as you. What mommy did you think I was going to take you to? To some other mommy? I know who mommy is. You don't need to clarify my mommy. I'm aware of who this lady is. And so it was funny because this week we were talking about Mother's Day, right? And they, um, at school, they were asking the children, to, to say, what is your mommy's favorite thing? What's her favorite food? How old is she? Right? Some of these answers are just hilarious, right? Apparently, Nicole's 13, and I'm 42. I don't know what that says about how old I look, but, you know. But we asked the boys, we said, so what, what does mommy always say? And they use this high-pitched voice, and they go, good morning, my angel baby. And I was sitting there, I'm like, what does daddy always say? And they both look at me and I said, no, no, really, what, is, what would you say daddy always says? And they use this deep voice and they go, don't do that or I'll spank you. <laughs> and I was like, that's so nice that that's the world they will know. Good morning, angel baby, and don't do that or I'll spank you. Right? But that's, that's what God does, right? God sends people into our lives who reflect him who reflect His power, who reflect His love, who reflect His compassion. All of us have this beautiful ability to be used as an instrument of God. And so today, as we're going through our study in Exodus, which, believe it or not, folks, if you're a visitor, you don't understand this. We've been in Exodus since January. All right, this is like the 18th sermon in Exodus. We are down to the final three, folks. We are down to the final three. And so today, as we talk about Exodus, we're going to talk about unbelievable generosity that the people of God display. About God using the people and their generous hearts to accomplish His work. And it's funny because I didn't plan this sermon to be on Mother's Day when I originally wrote out this series. It just kind of fell here. But man, does God know what He's doing, right? When you think about mothers, you think of that kind of generosity. It was funny the other day, uh, I got home early. I took off a little bit early and and the home was like 3 o'clock. And Nicole's like, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten today. I was like, what do you mean you haven't eaten today? I was like, didn't you get lunch? And she's like, yeah, I got lunch. But, you know, Ty's been through this growth spurt. And he finished his meal and he was hungry. So I gave him mine. And I'm just like, 
That doesn't happen when they're with daddy. If that happened with daddy, I'd be like, you had your meal. Daddy's eating his. All right? But no, Nicole's just like, if they need, she gives. That's just the way mothers are, right? There's an unbelievable generosity, and it's, it's kind of like their natural inclination. They just do it without thinking about the repercussions, right? That's their baby, that's their child, that's who they need to give. And I want us to think about that because when we talk about generosity in our lives, as we get older, as we get more materialistic, we sometimes don't give so freely. We start to restrict that just a little bit in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35. As you're going there, let me catch you up if you haven't been here. As we've gone through this series, we've outlined a few key things to remember. One, in our relationship with God, there's two primary things He does with us. The first is, He frees us. So when you look into the book of Exodus, what you start with is you start with the people of God in captivity as slaves in Egypt. And what happens? God comes in in unbelievable power and might and frees them. And He frees them in only a way that the Almighty God could. And the beauty of this is when God frees them is it's not like you and I expect things in this world. Right? In this world, if you have something of value or you can do something valuable for someone, you expect before you do that, they give to you. Right? Hey, you want what I have, here's what I need from you. God doesn't do that. God comes into these people who barely know Him, have had little relationship with Him, and He goes, you are mine, and because you are mine, I free you. After they're free, He then gives them the choice of if they want to follow Him or not. And so the second thing we've talked about is once you have that freedom, if you choose to follow God, then He will transform you. And in brothers and sisters, where we really want to make sure we're taking in both of these things as Christians is, is too often, church people, I'm not going to call them Christians, I'm going to call them church people, they chase that freedom that God offers. They want that grace, they want that forgiveness, they want that love. But they stop right there. And what God is in the business of is not just freeing you, but offering you the ability to become something new. And so if you're going to be a Christian, it's not just that you accept that freedom of the Savior, it's that you accept Him as your master. And along that journey, He transforms who and what you are. And so there's three verses we've looked at throughout this series. The first is in Luke 16.33. It says, No servant can serve two masters. So if we're on this journey as Christians and we say, Jesus Christ is my master, what we say is, there's no one else. That is the one voice I listen to. That is the one person who guides me. That's the one person that leads me. And when I wake up in the morning, it's not about my will, my dreams, my game plan. It's about what does God want to do with me. And what Scripture teaches us, you can't have two. If you have two masters, you will be divided. If you have two masters, you will be on a hamster wheel running, going nowhere. There has to be one loud, clear voice driving you. The second truth we've talked about is in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
See, God knows that His ways are completely and utterly different than the world's. And so the moment that you and I choose to be a servant of Jesus Christ, and we choose to follow Him, here's what we need to know. At times, when He asks us to move, it's not going to make sense. There's going to be moments in our life where God goes, I need you to do this, and you're going to sit there with your worldly logic, your worldly mindset, your worldly value system, and go, I don't get this. This seems weird. This seems crazy. And it's in those moments that you remember, servant, master. I lean not on my own understanding. I lean on His. And brothers and sisters, if if you haven't been here before, this is a big thing we hamper on here. This is the difference between those who say they're Christians and those who are. Those who say they're Christians are the type that have brought Jesus into their life as a consultant. They come to Him in times of need and say, hey, do you have any good advice for me? And I'll take it or leave it depending on my own feelings. A true Christian, God is not your consultant. He's not your advisor. He is your master. When He says do, I do. When He says go, I go. Because He is in charge, not me. That is the biggest distinction between so many of these people in America who call themselves Christians and those who are Christians is, is God your master? If He is, I trust in Him, not in me. And then the third thing, 1 Peter 1, 14-16. If we do this, I'll change. As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And so, brothers and sisters, this is simply the journey of Christianity. I'm a slave to sin. God frees me. I get the decision point there. Do I choose to follow Him or am I going to go my own way? If I choose to follow Him, His voice is the only one that matters. His voice is the one that stands out about everybody else's. And I follow Him with complete and other faith and what I expect, what I know will happen is along that journey, I will become something different. Brothers and sisters, at any point in that three steps, if those are broken, you won't see that change. And in fact, to be honest, I think that's why so many non-Christians can't stand us. Right? They see us say these things, but then they look at our behaviors and go, you know, different. I mean, if you really had a personal, deep relationship with an almighty God who is unbelievably holy, unbelievably powerful, unbelievably loving, wouldn't you look different? But you don't. And so, brothers and sisters, if we're not seeing that transformation in our lives, we've got to come back to this and go, where did I go wrong? Have I truly not made God my servant? Have I truly not trusted in His ways? Why is the relationship not where it needs to be? And so that is the framework for which we look at all these verses that we're going to go through today. If you look at Exodus 35, we come to an important place. So far throughout this book, this journey has been a roller coaster with the people and God. Right? They have their high moments with Him, then they have their low moments with Him. He gives and they cherish Him and talk about how wonderful He is. They hit a moment where they feel like they don't have enough and they turn away from Him. And where we had left, left them last is they had gotten tired of waiting on God and decided to build their own idol. 
They'd said, you know, we don't want to wait on this Yahweh guy anymore. We want our own God that we can contain and that we can shape. And after God punishes them, He gives them the chance to come back into His fold and to be His people. And that's where we pick up in Exodus. Let me read just a little bit of Exodus 34 from you because it's important to set the context. Moses has gone onto the mountain to talk with God and it said, It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand. As he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to them on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. And from then on, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, and that the skin of his face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Do you see what's happening here? Right before this moment, God had directly spoken to all of Israel. And after their idolatry and their sin, that sin put a barrier between God and the people. And from that moment forward, Moses was used as a prophet, a go-between. God would speak to Moses. Moses would go deliver that message to the people. But this beautiful thing was happening. When Moses was talking to God, he was talking to him face to face. This wasn't Moses just sitting there and praying. This was Moses having a direct conversation with Almighty God. And God in His glory and in His power and in His majesty, when He is talking to Moses, that, that radiance physically changes Moses' appearance. Moses comes down off these mountains and literally his face is glowing. So much so that the people are like, we can't even look at you, man. And so from then on, whenever he goes and talks to God and he comes back down, he puts a veil over his face. <laughs> Do you know why I love this? It reflects the truth that should happen to each and every one of us that calls us Christians. I'm not telling you to go get a tan. What I'm telling you is, is if you are people who actively, regularly, daily, sit in the presence of the Almighty God, if you talk to Him, if you share with Him, it should shine throughout you. When you come away from those moments where you have been in God's presence and you go back into the real world, people should look at you and go, man, what has happened to you? What is in you? What kind of joy is coming forth from you? What kind of power is pouring out of your soul? There is something going on with you right now. Like, do any of you remember when you, you first met that person you were going to marry? Do you remember when you're in those early stages, right? And you're just like obsessed with each other? And you'd be almost like so, so joyous that it was annoying to people? Do you remember that? Like, people seem like, what is up with you right now? Like, why are you so happy? 
oh, well, I was just talking to Nicole, and oh my gosh, it was so right. Yeah, you have this like glow about you. Like, you just it didn't matter what happened. You could be in a car accident, you'd be out like, isn't today a great day? Right? What a wonderful day. Because you were so consumed with that love. Brothers and sisters, that should be what we experience every day when we're in relationship with God. Moses could walk down from that mountain and hide that he was with God. Even if he wanted to. It was too obvious. It poured forth from him everywhere he went. He had been with God. Now you know what's scary to me? Is I know some of us, Monday through Friday, live in such a way, people don't even know we're Christians. I know there's some of us that live in such ways that when people find out you go to church, they're like, really? You're a Christian too? That's crazy. I would have never guessed. That's not a compliment. That's bad. Right? That'd be like going up to a lady and be like, oh, you have kids? I never knew. That's bad. What kind of mother never talks about her children? What kind of mother doesn't have pictures of them everywhere? Right? If you have this kind of life-changing relationship... You can't hide it. It pours forth from every pore of you. That was what was happening to Moses. Now look at what happens in 35. It says, Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, who is ever of a willing heart. Let him bring it to the Lord as a contribution. And so if you haven't been with us, what's happened in the previous chapters is God has set out this dramatic game plan of the temple that he once built. And for them in this time in the desert, it's not the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. It's a temple that they call the tabernacle. It's this physical location that will remind people of the presence of God. And if you go back and look at the previous chapters, this thing is not normal. Right? This thing is not just regular cloth and wood. This thing is of gold and of master craftsmanship and of the finest materials because God wants it to be clear to people this is a holy place of God Almighty's. Now what's beautiful here is notice when God needs them to build this, look at what he says. Whoever is of a willing heart. God has a vision of something that He wants accomplished. He shares that vision with His people and He asks, give according to your heart. Brothers and sisters, I, I think as Christians we need to read on this a little bit because I think sometimes even the, those among us who are generous, our generosity is reluctant. I think so many of us when it comes to giving, and, and let me just throw a quick caveat. I know what you think whenever a pastor talks about giving. You're like, he wants money. This is not about money today. This is about you and a relationship with God where it should be all-consuming to you. And as Christians, as we go throughout life, 
everything we have and everything we are should be given to our God to do His work. We have become such a materialistic people that when it comes to giving, we have these strict restraints on ourselves. And in fact, most of us, when it comes to giving in our lives, we are not thinking about how much we can give. We are thinking about what's the bare minimum that I have to give? How do I give just enough? And what I love about this story is when God talks about giving, what He says to these people is, one, you know it's me asking. Two, you know what I want to do with these things. And three, I ask you to give not because you have to, but because you want to be part of this. I want you to give out of willingness. With joy. And I think about that because this starts to emphasize how you and I accomplish the mission we talk about every week. If you're not part of Harmony, our mission at this church is to build a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And so really what we're trying to be in our lives is people of love. My hope is that if you would ever meet people of our church, you would go, man, those people love. They love their God and they love other human beings. And do you know how you show that love? You show it through this kind of generosity. This kind of ability to just sacrifice for other people. To pour out joyfully and willingly for other people. That's how love shows itself in our actions. And so God here goes, you know it's me speaking. You see the vision of what I want to do. My people, I ask you to give. Give according to your own heart. And as you flip with me, I want you to see some things that happen. Look at verse 10 and 35. Exodus 35, verse 10, it said, Let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So this giving isn't just about us showing up and saying, Hey, here's my money. Here's my gold. Here's my stuff. It's about those same people showing up and go, Here's my talent. Here's the abilities you've given me. I give these to you as well. It's funny when, when we meet with other pastors, we, we talk always about you know, what we have and don't have. And it's funny, in the areas of town that are, are, are a little bit you know, not as, as rich, we're often struggling financially just to make it every month. But it's funny because sometimes we'll talk to these pastors on different sides of town who, who their people have money and they'll go, you know what our problem is? We have money. I have no people. I'll tell people I need help. I'll tell people we have a ministry that needs to be filled. I'll tell people we need workers and they write me a check. And I'm like, I don't need your check. I need you. Here, with your hands, with your feet, working. And I'm like, well, can I just write a check? And see, the problem is, is what we don't realize in those moments is that's not even giving. Because you know what it's not? It's not sacrifice. It's you doing the bare minimum to make yourself feel okay about it. But it's not you going, God, what do you need from me? I'll give you everything I am. In the marriage vows that I share with people, there's a line that each person commits where they say, I give to you everything I have and everything I am. All of this is yours. And that was what God was asking for. People give. 
I don't care if it's your time. I don't care if it's your talent. I don't care if it's your money. I don't care if it's your heart. But give. Be part of this. Something amazing is happening. And I want you to be here. I want you to participate. And look at what happens. Skip down with me. Let's look at starting verse 20. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting. If you skip down to 22, it says the same thing. It says, Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets. Again, you jump down to verse 26. It says, All the women whose hearts stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair, and the rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for settings. In verse 29, it says, The Israelites and all the men and women whose hearts moved them. You know what continually defined these people? It wasn't somebody guilt-tripping them. It was they had a clear vision of what God was trying to accomplish in their lives and they wanted to give joyously to it. They wanted to be part of it. A generosity that overflows from their hearts. If you look at a few verses later, look in chapter 36, I want to see what happens. In chapter 36 it says this, in verse 4, And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than is enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation that was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. You see what happened? God cast this vision. God says, this is what is needed. And the people respond with such joy, with such abundance of giving, both in time, energy, skill set, and money, that the workers come and go, shut it off, man. We got too much stuff. We, don't, we can't do everything they're sending our way. And Moses has to go out and go, please stop. Just please stop. Stop giving. We cannot take any more. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've been to a lot of church services in my life. Have you guys ever been to that church service? I can't even tell you how many giving sermons I have heard in my life. I have never heard one from a pastor going, please stop giving. In fact, we have too much. If you guys on the way out would just grab a few dollar bills on your way. We have too much right now. Never heard that sermon before. But that's what Moses is saying. He's saying these people, because they knew it was from God, they knew what God wanted to do, they saw the value in what God was doing, they gave so much. Moses had to say, stop. Just stop. Right? I kind of picture like that feeling you have when you're like at one of those Brazilian steakhouses. Right? And they're circling and you're like, no mas. It's over. I can't go anymore. That's what Moses was saying here. And so brothers and sisters, when, when, when you think about this, I want you to think about your own life and go, man, does that even remotely sound like me? 
And again, just like, please separate this from church giving. We'll talk about that later another Sunday. In your life, are you that kind of generous person? Well, when you see need, man, you give freely. And, and don't get me wrong here, like, we have this weird materialistic way of thinking about giving, but like, how many of you at work have ever been there and seen one of your people and knew they were in trouble? Right? Something was on their heart, something was on their mind, something was weighing them down. And have you ever done that thing where you knew you should have stopped, but you didn't? Right? Like, you know they're not right. And you do that, like, cursor, like, hi, how's it going? And they look at you and they're like, uh-huh. Right? And you know you should stop. You know it. But you're like, oh, I'm busy. I got so much to do today. I mean, I don't have time for a sob story. Like, you know, maybe I'll catch up with them. And you just keep moving. Do you know it's generosity to stop right then and there and go, I'm going to give you my time. I know right now you need someone. I'm here. Is everything really okay? Is everything really okay? Do you need someone to talk to? Well, okay, you know, when you pass those people on the side of the road, like, trust me, I, I have these back and forth with me, right? right like, sometimes you give, and then other times you're like, I bet you they're not even going to use this for good stuff, right? It's probably going to turn into alcohol. And God would not want me to buy their alcohol, so I'm not going to do this, right? And you convince yourself not to give. You know what? It's not between you and them what they do with it. God wants us to be the kind of people we see need, we give. We see need, we give. We see need, someone needs help, we give. We see someone needs their time, we give. Why? Because that's how we show love. Is we pour ourselves out. You know, it always amazes me about Jesus Christ that as He's trying to save the world, as He's preaching and teaching, as He's building a brand new faith, you know what He never did? He never turned individuals away. Right? Like Jesus would be in the middle of like these masterful sermons that we still study to this day. And little kids would show up and He'd be like, bring them here. Let me pray with them. Right? He'd be walking through crowds with people clamoring for Him. And one person of faith would reach out and touch Him and He'd be like, who was that? Let me talk to you. It didn't matter how busy he was. It didn't matter what was on his plate. It didn't matter what he needed to do. He cared about everyone around him. Man, do you remember him on the cross? On the cross, he's dying, suffocating in his last moments. And what's he doing? He's praying for the people who put him there. He's praying for his disciples who ran away. He looks at his mother and realizes she doesn't have a son anymore. And he asked the disciple that he loves, he says, Woman, see this man, that is your son. And your son, you see her, that's your mother. You take care of her. He's on the cross. And what is he doing? Making sure everybody else is okay. Because that's the kind of love that he showed. It was never about him. And when I read this, man, I, I had this moment just as I was reading through it this week, like, gosh, Luke, did anybody see this kind of generosity from you this week? I mean, forget every day. Was there any moment this week, Luke, where people would have read that man? Yeah, you know what? On Wednesday, Luke was a little bit like that. 
is that ever coming forth from me? Because if we are the people of God, man, we've got to reflect the heart that He has, which is a giving heart. I want you to look at two verses with me. One's in 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now again, if you're church folk, you've heard this verse all the time. What's funny is, normally this verse is used when we're trying to compulse you into giving. Right? It's like, don't give because you're forced to, but you guys should give because the budget's really low right now and we've got a lot of things to do and we're not meeting the budget. And it's okay. Hey, if you guys don't want a children's ministry, I guess we won't have one. Right? <laughs> Cheerfully give. Right? So I always love it. We always use it in the wrong context. God's point is this. If I have to show up and force you to give, it's the wrong thing. Because guess what? There's a very important thing to know about God. He doesn't need any of your stuff. God needs nothing from you. He's the creator. He made the earth. Right? If he's lacking, he will make it. Through giving, what he's saying is, do you want to be part of what I'm doing? And what he's asking is for a people to go, man, I want to be part of that. In fact, the Hebrew word for cheerful here, do you know what actually the better translation of it? Hilarious. That's a better translation. Is it's for God loves a hilarious giver. What does that look like? Right? Like, What does hilarious giving look like? Right? I love that translation because that's like an obscene amount of giving, right? This is someone giving so much, we all just start laughing. Like, this is crazy. Right? Are you serious right now? That's the kind of spirit we're supposed to have. And you know what? Understand how weird this is. Because this isn't the culture you've been raised in. Right? The world you and I live in is about what? Take, 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 take. Right? All day when you go home and watch TV today, what is every commercial basically trying to teach you? You are lacking. You need this product to make yourself complete. If you don't have this, you're not complete. If you don't drive this car, you're missing out. If you don't eat this sandwich, you're missing out. If you don't have these shoes... You're not cool. You have to have these things. Right? The world is teaching you to consume, to take, to hold on to. And God's like, no, I want you to be weird. I want you to be hilarious givers. I just want you to be those people while everybody else is trying to take in and build up. You are just out there giving. Hilarious giving. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 3, 5. It says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What Paul's talking about is in this story with the Corinthians, there's a church in Philippi that's struggling. And as Paul has been out, he has been taking up money to bring back to the Philippians. And the Corinthians, when he finds them, they're actually more destitute than any of the other churches. And what he says is because they had given themselves to God, they so badly wanted to be part of it. To the point that they were begging, Paul, please, we want to be part of this. Let us give. 
Let us give. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to take away from today is if we are going to be a loving people, if we are going to respect the Spirit of the Father that is with us, giving has to be one of these things that we're awesome at. In our lives, we should daily see the folks in this room being givers, not takers. Givers of time, givers of love, givers financially, givers in talent. In any way, shape, and form we can, we should be the people who are hilariously giving to folks. Because it's in those moments that people wake up and realize you're different. Why are you doing this? And that's when you and I get the chance to go because of Him. You know why I hilariously give? Because I have been hilariously given to. Because when I didn't know Him, when I cursed Him, when I lived in opposition to Him, when I didn't even think He was anything but a man, He came to this earth. He died on a cross to pay for my sins and then allowed me to be part of His family. It's more giving than I can ever acknowledge. And so when you've received like that, you just want to give back. Be a people that give. And I guarantee you, the world around you will feel the love of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Dearly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask you to transform us. Father, each and every day of our lives we live behind enemy lines, behind lines that teach us to consume, to take, to store up, to build up, Lord. Father, may we be reminded that the most beautiful thing about you is how freely you give. Father, each and every one of us, you have poured out love, mercy, grace, wisdom, so much, Father. May we be people because we freely receive that we freely give. Father, each and every day, may our eyes and our hearts be open to see the people around us in need. And when we see that need, Lord, may we respond. Father, we thank you today for the love that you pour down on us. And we pray, Lord, that throughout this week you will shape us. Father, we love you, and in your Son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Joe to come up with me as Maria is leading us in our closing song. We'll be up here at the front to pray. So whether you want to pray where you're at, or if you just got something on your heart you want someone else praying about, feel free to come up and see us during this time. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable walking the aisle, see us after service, and we'll be glad to talk to you. Maria. Let's all stand.
people said? Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Let me remind you of two things. One, you have a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Two, you have a mission. Go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Y'all have a great week. Happy Mother's Day. Love y'all.